0: I've listened to American Idiot by Green Day for more than five years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Waffles. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back. What? <laughs> pancakes Pancakes are a lot like waffles. It's the same batter. Fair enough. Anyway, if you weren't here for the end of the last episode, that's where you'll have to look. But in the meantime, welcome to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James. With
1: me is Connor. You said that like a question, like you weren't sure if I was with you. I I don't know. I already exclaimed what really loudly. Either you're with me or you're against me. Oh, you should know. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Uh, Anakin. (laughs) So you're
0: here, yes? Just uh, taking attendance.
1: Oh, you're taking attendance? Uh, Bueller, Bueller, Connor. <laughs> Connor. Connor. <laughs> yeah, I'm here.
0: Okay, thank you. I just need to let the audience know. And this week...
1: is tardy.
0: Of course, as usual. <laughs> this week, we're doing a little bit of an ironic twist on Independence Day. The 4th of July is just around the
1: corner. Oh, that's why you picked this one.
0: And that's why we're doing American Idiot, a decidedly... I guess, unpatriotic album, but it's America-themed in a, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> number of ways. It's, it's named American <laughs> idiot. So, uh, yeah, happy 4th of July to those of you in the States, and happy 4th of July to those of you not in the States. It's not a it's, holiday, yeah, but...
1: Still the 4th of July, but...
0: Yeah, it still will be. Except
1: to you, England. Suck it. We won. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <We> one <laughs> no bad attitude for the podcast well what, what? it's factual it's a punk attitude i'll give you that so let's talk about green day do you know much green day again <laughs> yet again a-, a band that you have to know
1: so, like we talked about last week, that KISS was a band you just had to know. And I was like, yeah, I kind of know some KISS stuff. And I ended up knowing everything KISS ever. Yeah, you know all the KISS songs. Yep, I know every KISS song ever existed. You can't prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. Green Day is another band that I like. There's, I, of course, know Green Day is a band. I know they exist. And I've heard of American Idiot like as an album and as a song. And if you said name a Green Day song, I could have probably named American Idiot. And that's about it. And this time it was true. I don't know even if I could have told you how American Idiot went. I could have just told you American Idiot was a Green Day song, and that's about it.
0: That doesn't surprise me.
1: They somehow, somehow, it, it was one of those where I chose to live under a rock situation. It was all around me, I knew it was all around me, but I never engaged. Look at you go. Good work, I, I guess. But that doesn't surprise me for most of these
0: songs. If you're gonna say that that's true about Boulevard of Broken Dreams, that surprises me. Everything else on this album is, I mean, it is largely a concept record, and I know how you, you treat those. So, some of these songs aren't songs you'd necessarily hear in other contexts.
1: Yeah, uh, I've known... So I guess I should say that. I knew a section of Jesus... Well, I knew a section of... Jesus of Suburbia, and I knew the Boulevard of Broken Dreams half of track three. But other, but again, I didn't know I knew them until we got to them, and that was really it. The rest of it completely new to
0: me. Very fair. I like albums that are completely new to you. That makes things fun, sometimes, and stresses me out other times. <laughs> so I guess we'll see which way this one leans. Green Day is a California punk band made up of Billy Joe Armstrong, who sings, plays the guitar, and does a lot of the songwriting.
1: Not to be confused with Billy Joel, not Armstrong.
0: No, not Billy Joel, Billy Joe Armstrong. Mike Durnt is the bass player and he sings. And for most of the band's career, from their second album, Kerplunk Onward, Trey Cool has served as the band's drummer. Now, here's a fact that made me feel kind of old. Green Day was founded in 1987. That is so much earlier than the era that I associate with Green Day. And that's mostly because Mike Durnt and Billy Joe Armstrong were literally just 15 years old in 1987 when they made the band. And I think a lot of the reason we associate them with not 1987 is because their first major label album and cultural breakthrough, Dookie, did not come out until 1994. And before then, they operated under the name Sweet Children. They made the change to Green Day after they realized just how much they like smoking marijuana. In their part of California, a quote-unquote Green Day was a day that you did nothing but get high. Armstrong is quoted as calling it the worst band name in the world. So that's Green Day. I don't want to talk too too much about dookie because it's definitely got future episode potential but it did win a grammy for best alternative album and singles like basket case of course and a lot of high visibility performances at events like woodstock and lollapalooza really catapulted green day into the limelight their next era brought the album nimrod singles like good riddance time of your life right that's another green day song that you probably know
1: ah If I do, I don't know about its title. Oh, but while we are on the subject, I guess I also lied. I recognize the title, Wake Me Up When September Ends, but I didn't know the song.
0: Right, that one too. But no, you definitely, much like Rascal Flatts' My Wish, Good Riddance Time of Your Life is one that you've probably heard if you graduated or Uh know someone who's graduated. Uh Maybe It's, It's one that gets that treatment a lot. But, uh... Anyway, that's Nimrod. That era. By the time their sixth studio album, Warning, dropped in 2000, critics started to say that they felt the band was losing relevance and growing out of touch with all the youth and the fans of what's called snotcore punk music. It's, this is the first time we've talked about snotcore, but it's it's punk music where people uh, kind of sing through their nose. It's a really nasally sounding genre. So so people start to think Green Day's losing touch with their fans. Warning was their first album that didn't hit triple platinum. It only broke gold. Status, so that's a major decline in success and sales, and that's when we enter the American Idiot era. And it was a project that really reignited the band and propelled them through the next nearly two decades. They're still together, obviously, and making music today. Their last album, Father of All Mother Effers, came out in February 2020, and they spent most of the pandemic writing new music as well. So they've they've got a lot of stuff done. This week, we're focusing in on that concept record, that big, career-reigniting American idiot. If you want the context, it's an album you're really going to have to listen to from start to end, I think, if you want the full effect of it. If you don't care, then you don't care, but uh, that's probably the best way to do it, how it was meant to be experienced. This is our first rock opera. It's a concept album. It tells one story cover to cover, so I'm just hoping you're not down on it right away.
1: No, no, I have nothing against concept albums, even if I've said something contrary to that in the past. Cut
0: in where Connor hated on dark side and concept albums.
1: Uh, d- listen, just because I hated on a concept album doesn't mean... I'm the concept album guy, right? I make concept albums where no concept album should exist. <laughs> you, All
0: right? I don't hate concept albums. I'm the concept album guy. Yeah, okay. I'm,
1: a, I'm the concept album king. All right, that's my title. Wow, if you say so. Concept album king. And therefore, when I say I don't like a concept album, it's because it's a bad concept album. You could take it to the bank? Yeah, you can take it to the bank. Lots of pressure on American Idiot. You have to find out whether or not you're going to the bank with American Idiot or not when we get to that. Right. Bank might be closed. Might be a run on the bank. Who's to say? Me, because I'm the I'm the concept album king. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) American
0: Idiot came out in 2004, and it's the band's seventh studio album, and it wasn't supposed to be. But they, much like James Mercer and The Shins, actually had an album stolen. They planned a record called Cigarettes and Valentines, but 20 entire tracks of their masters were lost. They decided that the project wasn't good enough to really reconsider or redo, so they just scrapped it and moved on to this wicked, ambitious project instead. To prepare for making the album, Armstrong spent time in new york city to try and pick up ideas clearly that was a big inspiration it's literally a huge chunk of the plot is is being in an unfamiliar city on your own and trying to go on this journey of discovery when they recorded american idiot they sunk a ton of time and energy into it trey cool even brought more than 70 snare drums to the studio just so they could get everything sounding perfect 70 snare drums that's just one type of drum i can't even imagine the like meticulousness that they had to use for this The entire record took 10 months and $650,000 to create, so there's a pretty hefty budget, but an even more hefty time commitment. 10 months is, is a long time. Given the album's nature as a concept record, this is also the first Green Day record they recorded in chronological order. They were so thorough, they even recorded each song to completion before starting another, so they would like, you know, start in on American Idiot, and they wouldn't touch Jesus of Suburbia until it was done. That's wild. You know, most most artists really wouldn't do it like that. They even flipped their usual recording order. You know, typically they would record the bass first and then the guitars, but they switched it up because they learned that that's what the Beatles would do when they were recording.
1: Ha <laughs> interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Billy Joe Armstrong said that by the end of the recording process, he felt delirious. He says, I feel like I'm on the cusp of something with this. I feel like we're really peaking right now. And, you know, in a lot of ways he was correct. I mean, it was a definitely a peak to that point and honestly kind of a pinnacle for the rest of their career. I I think pretty on top. It was Green Day's first number one record. It charted in 27 different countries, topping 18 of those charts. It sold over 16 million copies around the world. It sold 6 million in the U.S., earning it a whopping 6 times platinum certification, which is wild on the heels of an album that didn't even break gold. It won a Grammy in 2005 for Best Rock Album. And American Idiot won 7 out of 8 nominations at the MTV Video Music Awards. 7 eighths of those awards they took home. Kerrang! called American Idiot the best album of the decade, Rolling Stone put it at number 22, and it also made their 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list at number 225. That's pretty significant. It actually got a stage adaptation too, debuting in Berkeley, California in 2009, and making it to Broadway in 2010. It closed a little over a year later, putting on 422 performances before it hit the road on several tours. Green Day themselves actually never appeared in the show, but Billy Joe Armstrong was known to jump in and play the role of St. Jimmy on stage from time to time. It won two Tonys for Best Scenic Design and Best Lighting Design, and it was nominated but did not win Best Musical. The Broadway cast recording did take home a Grammy in 2011 for the Best Musical Show album. So there's some background about American Idiot for you. Nice. It is nice. I know. The band, they've done a lot before and they've done a lot since. And it's just it's absurd the amount of care and effort and planning they put into this album. I think maybe more than any other album we've talked about so far on this podcast. I mean, this one just got tons of attention and love and care from the band. They really they really created this as like a labor of love. And
1: now it's going to get a mediocre amount of attention, love and care from us. At least for the next hour. Exactly.
0: (laughs) That's all I've got. I'm curious to hear what the mixtaper knows or thinks he knows about Green Day. I am too. Let's find out. Let's find out indeed.
1: Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. It's you.
0: Welcome back to the show. How have you been? Sorry
1: sorry I was late. I was working on the newest piece of mixtaper merchandise, also known as Mm. mmm.
0: Sorry, it's known as mmm. Mmm. You know, say it like you just ate a good cookie. Mm. No. I'm not going to say that so the abbreviation is just MM. Oh
1: yeah, Big Saber merchandise. I mean, sure, why not? It's uh it's a it's a waffle maker in the shape of my face. Oh gosh. I'm sure it is. Anyway, <laughs> moving on from that, <laughs> that's sad introduction. Uh let's... well, you, you really tried. Yeah. Are the waffles so good they'll make you go mm. <laughs> exactly that's why it's a really catchy really catchy uh acronym for for my merchandise because when you get it everybody goes mm. nope okay well, anyway, moving back on.
0: <laughs> back on. <laughs> hit me with some Green Day facts. Alright,
1: well, I'm gonna hit you like Mike Dirt got hit knocking some teeth out during a performance. <laughs>
0: wow, what an unintentional segue I just did.
1: <laughs> I love- that happens more often than not, where I'm able to somehow, sometimes more looser than others, but, you know, I can usually loosely tie into my first fact from what you say.
0: You're right. Uh, we do a good job of that. So, so, he lost teeth during a performance from getting Hit? What did he get hit
1: yeah. with? Uh, from a bounce by a bouncer.
0: By, by a bouncer? Yeah. Dur- so during a performance, a bouncer came on stage. Yeah. And hit him. Oh uh, yeah. Sorry. Well, more or less. Why? <laughs> You're bouncing too hard. That's too late. You should have <laughs> bounced before.
1: <laughs> this was at a performance at Woodstock in 1994. So Green
0: Day's performing at Woodstock. What is this bouncer's deal? Did he just like forget to check his ID?
1: Throw him out.
0: I mean, <laughs> what's the, the deal? The bouncer
1: looks up on the stage and sees like a guy up there like playing the bass. And he's like, wait a second. I don't think that guy's supposed to be there.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, that's what you're that's what you're making it sound like.
1: Yeah. Well, let's throw a little let's throw a little context on this. Like Green Day threw a little mud on their performance when they started a mud riot
0: yeah okay green day starts a mud riot how yeah. does one start a mud riot from the stage of a
1: music festival you, Do you throw yeah it? i think you throw mud and yell riot and i think it takes care of itself <laughs> where they get mud on the stage well they're at they're at woodstock right i think they went down into the crowd oh anyway uh the crowd you know rushes the stage when the riot begins. As one does. Dirt was so covered in mud from the mud riot that the bouncer mistook him for a fan and threw it, didn't punch him, but, you know, knocked him to the ground forcefully, making him hit his jaw and lose some teeth.
0: Oh, okay. He was trying to get back on stage. Got it. That's actually better. He's actually doing his job.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: So, I see. So, hmm, ow. First of all, <laughs> yeah, losing teeth as an adult is like, that's no joke. So did he get, like,
1: dentures to replace them? How many teeth did he lose? He needed emergency orthodontia. Orthodontia? Teeth, teeth help. Emergency teeth, teeth help. <laughs> and uh very kind of punny oh. um it says here that a gag order was put in place regarding the incident which i thought was funny <laughs> a, a gag order yeah yeah so no you know they weren't allowed to talk about it the people in attendance sworn to secrecy. why not there. i don't know. Whoa, Weird.
0: That doesn't make much sense to me. I don't know how to feel about this. I guess I'm gonna say this is a fact. Oh, a fact. Yeah, I suppose so. And hey, listen, you're out there. It's Woodstock. I think. Oh, but did they do a mud riot? I feel like I've heard about Green Day doing a mud riot. And I oh, feel there's like there's a gag order. <laughs> you heard about it. I I feel like that's just something that they would do and like I said I I mean I know they were at that Woodstock. I I know that they had a notable performance at that Woodstock and starting a riot would certainly
1: do the trick. The Mud Riot was started during the song Paper Lantern by the way. Cool. And yes this is a true fact. Nice. Yeah so during Green Day's performance the crowd started to pelt the stage with mud hitting Billy Joe Armstrong causing Billy Joe Armstrong to then retaliate and start a mud Mm. fight during the song.
0: Okay so they were kind of more or less dragged into it even still I mean, they escalated the situation but
1: yeah that one that was I was on the dice on that one that one's actually hidden on their wikipedia page I was afraid that was one you'd know no, it was interesting that was so I wouldn't one include I it
0: that is very interesting
1: and from there let's ramp up to our next
0: fact they toured in a
1: bookmobile
0: in a bookmobile yeah. the first thing that's going through my mind is like scholastic book fairs
1: you're not completely wrong
0: not completely well tell me tell me which ways I'm incompletely correct uh Uh, They had a bookmobile. Thank you. Cool, thank you. Yes. Great. That seems necessary for this fact to be true, doesn't it? So it's it's a mobile full of books. Is it a bus? It used to be. It used to be. They they converted it into a tour bus.
1: It used to be a book bus that uh, Trey Cool's father customized into a tour bus for the band. That's pretty cool. That's Trey Cool.
0: Um so what is the process? What what does the inside of a book mobile look like? Are there I Assume it just has a bunch of shelves, shelves
1: with yeah, shelves with books or like maybe baskets with books that you can take out of it and set up on like a table i, mean, I don't know it's like a miniature rv looking van I think like maybe food vendor size but with like an actual front that you can drive rather than just being a trailer okay right and it says bookmobile. so it does it was okay so here's some information i found in my notes uh nope never mind that's not useful <laughs> <laughs> cool
0: so how long did they ride around in this thing it seems like i mean yeah. A big food truck-sized van, but it still sounds pretty small for a band of three people. Yeah, it's pretty small. When did they do
1: this and how long? It's basically a mobile library is what I'm reading, is what a bookmobile typically is. Vehicle that goes around and is like,
0: here, have books. And then it was like, here, have Green
1: Day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Trey Cool's Father also served as the driver. They did it for their first U.S. tour in the early 90s. That'd be about the only time I would believe that.
0: I think this one may be false. Don't believe the bookmobile, huh? No. No, I think it's bizarre that you would make it up and have so few details about the bookmobile when I said, what is it? And you went, it's the bookmobile. (laughs) However, I still think this one may be a spin.
1: Well, you think. Wrong. This is a fact. Wow. Yeah. The bookmobile in 1994 was retired and sat unused in a field for more than two decades. Fun fact. Whoa. So it was an old bookmobile from the 70s. Yep. And then in 2017, Green Day donated the bookmobile to Wheels for Wishes, benefiting Make-A-Wish. That's nice. Well, who knew? I didn't know. Yeah. A little fact bookmobile. Here's a picture of it.
0: Oh, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right where Billy Joel put it on Lake Erie. (laughs) It does indeed say bookmobile.
1: Uh, Yeah. That's what fans came to know it is. Naturally. Okay. Very interesting. Also interesting. Fact number three. Billy Joel went to clown college. That is very interesting.
0: Clown college, like actually, what what does one learn in clown college? I mean, it's the thing people say a lot, but what do they teach you?
1: Clown college is a real college that you go to to become a professional clown. Right. Ringling Bros and Barnum and Bailey Clown College. Also sometimes called Clown School.
0: Right. So you learn how to make balloon animals and put on face paint and get in little cars and stuff.
1: Skits. Yeah. All about how to be a professional clown. Did he have
0: actual interest in being a clown? No. So why'd he go? To spite his parents boy oh boy he went to clown college despite his parents when did this happen
1: uh right out of high school i see his parents insisted that he pick a college to go to after high school and so he chose clown college
0: it counts how long was he enrolled did i mean if he didn't want to be a clown did he stick it out
1: No, he dropped out to focus more on music after the first year oh
0: wow he made it through a full year yeah. so what kind of skills did he pick up uh Okay, fair enough. I'm skeptical of this fact because they formed the band when they were 15, you know? I I just don't know why you'd step away for a year like that.
1: I mean, he still was pursuing music during his year doing it and then dropped out to pursue it more rigorously.
0: Yeah, I just don't know. Clown College feels, while I believe that Billy Joe Armstrong would totally do something like this despite his parents, I just, I don't don't see it. I think this one's a spin.
1: All right, going with spin? Yep. This is... A spin. (laughs) It's a good spin. You got it. I almost believed it. I was close. I knew you were gonna have some doubts because of the band founded in high school and everything. I was just really hoping, like you know, the pressure from parents stuff was gonna be enough to look past it. It was very close. Plus, you know, like you said, the band didn't really release their first album until years after they founded. Maybe he'll
0: buy it. I almost took the bait, like a pie to the face or whatever. Clown college (laughs) teaches you. I know how to take a pie to the face. Can I? Can I?
1: uh, Prove that you know that Uh, if we'll come up with some stretch goal for the podcast to reach that I'll let you pie me in the face. If we reach, if this episode gets, I don't know what it'll be, but it will be one. Listen,
0: <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> it's just never going to happen. I, I have, <laughs> I've i conceded to that already. Well,
1: let's move on to our final ramp up and a bit. In, uh, you know, PG 13. Ooh. Oh, hey, if you're, if you're 12, get out. Trey cool lost one of his testicles in a bizarre accident.
0: Okay, yeah, okay.
1: (laughs) This must have been a
0: bizarre accident to only lose one. What happened? He
1: fell off his unicycle.
0: Ooh, yeah, well, fell off a unicycle? Yep. How? Don't, I don't think I want to know how this happened. Because it (laughs) seems to me if you're falling off a unicycle, the only way something like this could result is if not all of you falls off the unicycle, (laughs) if you know what I'm saying.
1: So he was riding a unicycle on stage at his high school. He fell off the stage. Yeah. Somehow his left testicle got pushed inside his stomach. A doctor then later had to remove it, and now he only has one left.
0: Oh, okay. So, got it. I was thinking he lost it the other way. Oh, no. Not
1: horrifically ripped off.
0: (laughs) No, that's kind of the direction I was headed. So, so it just was unsalvageable. Yes. That sucks. Does he, well, it's probably... Probably a no. But does he still ride unicycles? Uh, I don't know why not. <laughs> He's the one that should have been in clown college. They teach you how not to do that. <laughs> so I don't know what else I meant to ask about this. I mean, ow. That's that's what I think. This is another bizarre one where why on earth, why on earth would you make this up? <laughs> so like this has to be some kind of fact. But also why on earth would this be true? How How I can't. I don't know. I don't know what to do on this. I think I'm going to have to take a safety spin. Safety spin. Wow. Yeah, I think this is probably, probably true about maybe someone sometime somewhere. Maybe not Trey Cool.
1: This is a fact.
0: Oh, oh, it's a fact.
1: Yeah. Goodness. Yep. Ouch. Poor guy. And it's funny you say it because Trey Cool did go to clown college. Wait, <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I just wait, didn't wait. want to tell you that before we got to the next fact. I just swapped people on the last fact. Trey Cool went no to clown way. college and not Billy Joe. And so he did <laughs> learn to ride a unicycle in clown college. Well, he went to clown college after the accident. Oh, Okay, yes. again, so... to try
0: and learn to do it properly. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. I can't believe. Yep. You could have told me that in the fact, and it would have made me think it was even more of a spin. Really? I think so. It, it, after I had brought it up, because I said, oh, he could have gone to clown college. If you had said,
1: Yeah, that's exactly what he did. <laughs> you would have been like, no. <laughs> no way. Well, I got you anyways. I think that's a 2-2 this week. That's another 50-50. And you got one fact and one spin right. I sure did. So you also went down kind of to 50-50. <laughs> I guess so. Well, thanks for these awesome Green
0: Day facts, Mr. Mixtaper. We will uh, catch you next time for our special, honestly. I'm so excited. Next week is our 52nd episode. And since we've done one per week... The end of year one? That is the the first year. Oh, also, well, this is episode 51, isn't it? This is the start of the second... Oh,
1: Oh my gosh, you're right. I mean, <laughs> yes, I knew. <do. clears throat> uh, hey, everybody! This uh, this was the first episode of round. Of season three of Fact or Spin, we switch every 25 (laughs) episodes, and I definitely remembered that. Yep, you definitely did.
0: So this, I guess, is season three now. I've won the first two seasons pretty well. Yes, uh, what was the final score? The final score from season two of Fact or Spin is 1,111 for the hosts and 1,062.5 for the mixtaper. Wow,
1: actually kind of closer than I expected. (laughs) in a way (laughs) it is pretty decently close we went through a lot of we went through a lot of facts and spins this season also, does that number, that does that number include season one's total? That includes, that includes season one. Oh, okay. If you're curious, there have been a total,
0: I'm not counting this episode, there have been a total of 203 factor spin questions asked. 118 of them have been facts, 89 have been spins.
1: Oh, wow, I need to step up my spin game. I try to keep it 50-50, but I'm letting it edge towards facts. I'm finding too many fun true facts.
0: You sure are. And with that, I guess we'll see you next week for the final episode of our first year as a podcast wow yeah that's crazy isn't it i know it's our final episode in year one
1: and it's a i'll i'll be going up against connor again
0: yes that's right that's right it'll be a special one i bet you'll do great at factor spin i'm actually rooting for you next week
1: i've never done well against connor historically it's sad but true i'll have to bring my a game next week we'll see how it goes yes we will until then yeah, yeah, indeed.
0: Fifty-one, well, not quite fifty-one. Yeah, is from the mixtape. Or he didn't really develop that until a couple episodes in. Anyway, welcome back, Connor.
1: It's me. I'm back. Can't believe we didn't talk about the end of season two of Factor Spin last week. We forgot.
0: I know. We totally did. Who who knew? that such an arbitrary marker could be so easily forgotten.
1: Yeah, you know what they say, time flies when your and spins.
0: I mean, I suppose so. Let's talk about the cover art of American Idiot. Although, I mean, honestly, there's not a ton to talk about. The cover is a grungy font that says Green Day presents American Idiot. And the uh, the main icon on the cover is a hand holding onto a hand grenade shaped like a heart. And it's bleeding. And colored
1: red with a little blood, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's derived from the lyric in She's a Rebel where... Billy Joe Armstrong says, she's holding on my heart like a hand grenade.
1: I really like it. I
0: really like it, too.
1: It really fits the themes of the album.
0: Oh, absolutely. With the angst, and, I mean, we get the feeling, we'll get into what the album's all about, obviously, in just a second, but there's a lot of angst built up in here. A lot of, uh, we get the sense that Jesus of Suburbia is a bit of a ticking time bomb now and then. You know, he really is put in a lot of different situations where his heart is volatile, like a hand grenade. Yeah. Anyway, that's the album cover. That's all I've got to say about it, really. So without further ado should we open up this big old concept album break into it let's do it let's do it first up on the track list is as you might have guessed American Idiot huge Green Day hit it was the first single from this record uh
1: yeah it's a big one
0: no doubt the song Very popular
1: you had to like live under a lo- rock that lives under another rock that lives in its rock's mom's basement, but yet like another rock had to tell them about the song, you know, for you not to know what it is.
0: What you lost me after the basement thing. I was like, oh, under a rock, under a rock, in another rock, in another mom's rock, basement? in the mom's
1: basement. Yeah. Okay. This. Man, let me let me let me just say the whole thing again. Let me just say the whole thing. Uh, I flubbed it the first time, anyways. You kind of have to uh, have been living under a rock that lives under another rock that lives in its rock mom's basement under yet another rock to not know about this song
0: I guess you could be under the basement of a lot of
1: rock. That's how that's how far down you have to be to not know about this song.
0: Well, if you've not heard about this song, then I mean, I guess no offense. Was that offensive? Get out of your rock mom's basement. Get out of your rock mom's basement. Whatever. (laughs) So this song alone was nominated for four Grammys. Best rock performance by a duo or group with a vocal. Best rock song record of the year and best short form music video. I think it's a great intro to the album because it sets up a lot of what we're going to see down the road throughout the course of this concept album. Green Day, obviously very punk rock. Well, what did we call it? Snot punk? That's the technical genre. Weird. Yeah, I know. Well, it's because of the way that he sings is the nasally quality in his voice. But as a punk band, they really take up arms against politics and the media and this brainwashed American mentality. He actually likes to perform this song wearing a George W. Bush mask, who is especially lampooned. Throughout the course of this album.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everybody loves the guitar in this song, but I also just like to give a shout out to the to the drums. The drums go hard in this song, too. No
0: kidding. I mean, they are every bit as hard as the guitar.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you can believe it, Billy Joe Armstrong came up with the concept for this song, the American Idiot Idea, while listening to Leonard Skinner's song, That's How I Like It. That song, mm. ironically, is about being proud to be a redneck. And he listened to the song and he was like, why would you be proud of something like that? This is exactly what I'm against. So he said, I don't want to be an American idiot. This is hard to tell, but Leonard's Kennard inspired. Dang. Yeah. I do really think they don't waste a line on this opening track.
1: No, yeah, uh, it's every line's there for a reason. I really like in the bridge. Ooh, Yeah. The last line of the bridge the I'm calling out the idiot America where they just it gets all they do that echoey reverb on it and drop all the instrumentals. Yes. Nice touch.
0: I like it. And, when, and that part in particular feels like he's, they have put this radiostatic type sound on his voice, which is genius following this one nation controlled by the media narrative that he's put on. You know, he kind of kind of enters into that by using mm-hmm. the vocal effect like that. Neat. I also love the wordplay. Welcome to a new kind of tension all across the alienation. Like alien nation, alienation. It's clever. That's, that's thinking for you billy joe armstrong envisioned this album to be the embodiment of quote-unquote being 15 and rocking out in front of a mirror that's what led to this song the awesome guitar solo in it and built up a lot of the atmosphere around the rest of this album so that's the vibe
1: yeah this song is the perfect song to get you pumped up for what's about to come on the rest of the album oh yeah now you
0: said you knew part of the next song the next song is a five-part suite of songs that introduce our main characters and their living situation. It's called, collectively, Jesus of Suburbia. And Billy Joe Armstrong decided to set out and try and make the Bohemian Rhapsody of the Future when he made this song. Do you think he did it? That's such a hard question. They're two totally different songs. I would say no. And that's because... I would agree. Bohemian Rhapsody is a self-contained story. It kind of covers its arc in one song. A long song, albeit, but one song. This song has a similar effect, but it has an entire album to back it up. And so, I guess you definitely get that impression when you listen to the album in full a second time, once you know the characters and the story and where things are headed. But I don't think it hits the same as Bohemian Rhapsody, just cold, out of the blue. So the first part is itself titled Jesus of Suburbia. We get a picture of our main character, the strung-out bum who's kind of lost in the world, on a steady diet of soda pop and Ritalin, and he is exclusively referred to as Jesus of Suburbia throughout the album. That is the only name that we get for him. I
1: have a question. Yes. Before we get too deep into... This is a song we can talk about a lot, but I want to talk about in part one. Right, that's where we are. Good. Yep, in verse two. Yeah. The last line, doing someone else's cocaine. That's gotta be rude, right? Like... I don't know. I don't know the like social norms in the drug world, but I don't know. It was, like, a rude thing to do, you know, do somebody else's cocaine.
0: Well, I think that's just supposed to emphasize how like broke he is. That he's bumming it off of other people. Mm, yeah, I see. yeah. But you're right. It's probably pretty rude. Just as a good rule of thumb, don't do somebody. Don't else's do somebody cocaine. else's cocaine. I would. Yeah. Have, <laughs> I mean, I would also say it's a pretty good rule of thumb not to do your own cocaine. But hey.
1: to each their own but also don't but
0: also don't (laughs) armstrong actually based the character of jesus of suburbia largely on himself
1: so he thinks he's jesus of suburbia
0: i mean i guess or at least at this point in time that was a good parallel that he drew i really love the hook that they put in here there's nothing wrong with me this is how i'm supposed to be in a land of make-believe that don't believe in me. Because that's yeah. that's a lot of the angst that this character feels, is just him setting out into this world of unknown things and trying to prove that he's got value, that he's worth something, that he's going to make his own way. And as he makes his way out into the world, he makes his way into what's part two of this song, The City of the Damned. It's, uh, it's at the end of another lost highway. Shout out to Hank Williams, Sr., I don't have too, too much to say about part two, except... Really? Well, I mean, I like it a lot. I like the transition from the rough and rowdy Jesus of Suburbia to the way more acoustic, like, I guess it's almost like a ballad at at the start of it, you know, at the center Uh of the earth in the parking lot. He goes on to tell this big, long story. And I have to say, part of the song always, without fail, it always plays in my head when I see stuff carved onto bathroom stall walls because of this part, like... (laughs) Stuff's carved on the walls like the holy scriptures of the shopping mall. So every time I'm like, I don't know, in a truck stop or a Walmart or someone's written on the wall, I was like, that's like Green Day. Green Day told me about
1: this. (laughs) Green Day warned me about this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a good section. I like it a lot. Now, the next part is part three, I don't care. And this is a point, I mean, I really started to really feel the vision of Bohemian Rhapsody for the song as we really just did a total gear shift. From the slower, very intentional city of the Damned, into this reckless whiplash of "I don't care," but boy, I don't care if he repeats lyrics. <laughs> he definitely, <laughs> do. you do, do well, sure, sure. Well, he definitely says a lot of "I don't cares." When
1: we get through the end of all five sections, I'm going to tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you my ranking of each section from top to bottom. Oh, I'm wait, wait till we get through all of them.
0: A mini-score. I I like it. He starts to recycle some of these lyrics, too, like a land of make-believe that helps tie the song together. And then we get uh, the next little section here, part four, Dearly Beloved. This one almost plays like a little ditty. It's such a catchy melody, and it comes back.
1: So part four is the section I knew. You knew this. Why'd you know this? Yeah, I don't know, but like, like I said... I'm fairly certain, like, Green Day, for the most part, passed me by. I knew American Idiot, I'd heard it. You know, that one was impossible to avoid, but pretty much the rest of it passed me by, for the most part. I was the one living under the rock, under the rock, in the Mother Rock's basement. Uh... <laughs> but somehow I knew section four of the song. It started playing, I was like, oh, I recognize this. Yeah, I
0: guess it's very familiar. It's sing song it's a little ditty. Yeah. And I love the line, too, I have to point out. Certified poetry. Are we demented or am I disturbed? And therapy, can you fill the void? As Jesus of suburbia starts to get frustrated with his situation. Current situation. He'll get frustrated with the future situations in the future. But for now, that's where we are.
1: I really like, so it's funny. We love to do this where we both in like the same verse will pick up on different lines. You like therapy, can you please fill the void? I really liked uh, Nobody's Perfect and I Stand Accused. That's a good one, too. It, 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 it's very much like the whole, you know, let the person, whatever the line about the glass houses and throwing rocks is. You know, it's a much, it's a lot like that.
0: People who live in glass houses <laughs> shouldn't live under rocks, under rocks, under rocks in their mom's basement. Yeah, yeah, mm, or, yeah. People, ro- mother rocks, rocks. should live in
1: glass houses. That's the line.
0: Rocks, under rocks, <laughs> under rocks in the basement of another mom rock. Shouldn't throw glass. Right. Right.
1: I think we got it. It was in there somewhere. All the words were there somewhere. But anyway, I don't I just really like that one. The idea that like, you know, everybody's judging everybody else even though nobody's perfect. True. And he's like calling that out. Like, well, why am I the one being accused? You're just as imperfect as I am. It's true. And part
0: five of five Tales of Another Broken Home.
1: Of Dominica. Wait, what? No.
0: No, Tales of Dominica, that's a couple episodes <laughs> back. <laughs> Although, I guess, yeah, Jesus of Suburbia. I got the wrong notes pulled up. <laughs> hopes his little bit of hope doesn't fade away. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting off track. <laughs> but this is <laughs> The part where things really start to unravel, our story starts to kick off as Jesus sets off on his great adventure. He talks about losing his faith to this town that don't exist. So I run away to the lights of masochists. And it ends, of course, with you're leaving. Are you leaving home? And the answer is
1: yes. Yes, he is. It's great because like American Idiot, the song, is almost like the overture that plays before as the curtains are opening. Oh, right? it absolutely it is. Yeah. sets you up with all the themes and the sounds and the ideals you're going to encounter throughout what, you know, you're about to watch. And then so this is in like the introductory song that sets you up for the grand adventure we're about to go on. True.
0: Overall, Jesus of Suburbia, as track two, I mean, what a song, start to finish. Lots of exposition, but it shifts around and changes so much that it never really feels boring.
1: Uh, my my ranking of the five sections for this song are 2, 4, 1, 5, 3. 2, 4, 1, 5, 3? Okay. And I thought I liked... Wait, is that worst to best or best to worst? That's best or worst, best or worst.
0: Okay, I actually, no, I agree with that exactly.
1: Yeah, I thought about flipping one and five, five, because I really like five's rhythm better, but it's just, they don't do anything new with it. It's just the same rhythm over and over and over and over, whereas at least one mixes it up a little. True.
0: Well, up next on the track list is, well, it depends on where you're looking at the track list, to be honest. Most places digitally, you'll find Holiday and Boulevard of Broken Dreams smushed together into one track. Other places, they're separate, because they are their own songs, of course, but let's start with Holiday.
1: I like thematically that when they're smushed together.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. They hit different when you think of them as a group or a collective. Holiday is the album's token anti war song, very critical of the war in Iraq.
1: I called this the Valley of Double Songs. The next, like, five of them we're about to talk about are. Double song, the Valley of Doubles. The Valley of Double Songs is where all the glass is where all the glass houses that the Mother Rocks live in. No, nope. <laughs> we're building our own concept nope. album here. The
0: joke was already taken too far the first time you told it, and then we took it even farther the second time. And I can't let this happen again. And now there's no
1: going back. No, it's nope, too it's late. Too late. It's, it's already happened. Well, we've agreed
0: it's too late, <laughs> at least. So I love the imagery in this song. Here's the sound of the falling rain coming down like an Armageddon flame. The shame. The ones who died without a name. Internal rhymes. External rhymes. It's great. Words. Words. (laughs) Images. But I love some of these other, these feelings. They don't ever have to tell you specifically that it's about war for you to know that it's about war, right? A protester crosses the line to find the money on the other side. There's a gag, a plastic bag on a monument. And I don't know, I just love the idea that this is the dawning of the rest of our lives. That's almost a call to action, isn't it? To say, this is what the rest of our life is going to be. What are we going to do about it? Where do we go from here? And how do we shape the future into what we want it to be?
1: Yeah, I like the line in verse one to a hymn called Faith and Misery. Hey, yeah, (laughs) it's a good
0: one. Does that hymn exist? Should we write that? Let's write that hymn. It's probably
1: probably good. I don't know.
0: As far as a plot device goes, this is where we see Jesus of Suburbia out on the streets and struggling to survive and fighting to get by. That's where this happens. Fun fact too, when we get to that bridge and and he in, he interjects that little the representative from California has the floor. He'll replace that with cities that they're touring in when playing it live. Oh, really? Yeah, it makes it uh, very
1: personal. This one the guitar line is also very good. Yeah, it really is. I really like the pause on the chorus that is put before on Holiday. But you know the entire verse into the chorus is just it's just picking up steam, picking up steam as it goes and then They get to the end of the course and they just do a... They hit the brakes real fast and then hit you with the On Holiday. Yes. I like it.
0: That space is important. It just gives you a second to, like, anticipate. Uh Uh-huh. The music video for Holiday ends with the band's car breaking down on the side of the road. And it, much like the song itself, transitions perfectly into Boulevard of Broken Dreams. In that music video, the band starts out walking down the road away from that same car, which is
1: clever. On Holiday.
0: Yes. Boulevard of Broken Dreams is is the next Biggie from this album. Probably the Biggie or one of them anyway.
1: Again, I I personally am choosing to put in the camp that Holiday slash Boulevard of Broken Dreams is one song.
0: Sure. Well, then it's the next part of that song.
1: Mainly because then, you know, it can count as one for my top three.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not surprised. I understand. So Jesus of Suburbia realizes that this life isn't for him. He's getting kicked while he's down. And Boulevard of Broken Dreams is him realizing that he may never actually achieve what he's hoped for. Kind of feels like all hope is lost. This... Part of the song, Boulevard itself, was one of Green Day's biggest successes overall. It peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100, and it also won a Grammy for Record of the Year.
1: It is very popular. I also, I know I keep saying that this... this you know, this album and Green Day itself kind of passed me by. I never engaged with it. But again, it was just so popular. It was hard to completely miss, right? So yeah. I'm fairly certain I've heard this section of the song, like right? the Boulevard of Broken Dream. It's probably played at like a school dance or something in high school. I don't know.
0: <laughs> it's an awful it,
1: school dance song. I don't know. You know what I mean? Though? In like a setting like that. Sure. Uh, it it feel, It's a song that like when people are like, let's have a big playlist of songs. This was probably on there. But it, it, it sounded familiar enough. I suppose so.
0: Billy Joe Armstrong got the inspiration for the song title, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, from a 1948 Gottfried Helwin painting with superstars James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, Humphrey Bogart, and Elvis together in a Nighthawks-style diner. That's That's the picture from which the name was taken.
1: The singing on this one's really good.
0: Yes, it is. He sings his heart out.
1: He sings this very well.
0: His shallow heart's the only thing that's beating, and he sings it out. I also have to point out that the line that I really like is sometimes I wish someone out there will find me that's so passive that's like so resigned mm-hmm. to your fate just saying I can't do anything about it I'm gonna have to wait for someone to come
1: a bit lazy get out there and do it yourself coward okay well it's not like that
0: <laughs> but sure are you impatient to talk about the next song
1: I don't know it feels like we've been waiting uh, uh that we're the waiting uh there's, there's a way to do that I, I flubbed it
0: it's <laughs> pretty rough I served it up on a silver platter
1: not really because the title is Are We the Waiting? So, but you asked me if I was ready to move on, and I was like, I wasn't quite exactly sure how to get the exact phrasing no, in the sentence.
0: We were playing t ball, and you struck out.
1: No, 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 no. This was at least coach pitch, and it was kind of a bad coach job. <laughs>
0: All right, well, whatever. Yeah, the next song is well, the next song pairing is Are We the Waiting in St. Jimmy Valley of Double Songs. Yeah, the Valley of Double Songs. I don't have a ton to say about Are We the Waiting much because uh, it's another pretty repetitive song. It's lyrically decently light, but we carry on with this theme of loneliness. And this song, I feel like, just leaves us suspended in kind of at the end of the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're in that period of waiting for someone to come find us.
1: Yeah. It, it's a good setup for the second half of the song that we'll get to. Mm-hmm. I personally, I like that we've slowed it down the first three or four tracks, depending on how you're looking at it. I've all been pretty faster-tempoed upbeat, so it's good to slow it down. <laughs> the
0: first three or four or five or ten tracks, depending on how you break them up.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, if you break Holiday and Boulevard up, then it's four instead of three.
0: Right. Well, then if you break Jesus of Suburbia up into five more, then it's- Oh, I see. Yeah. That's what I'm saying.
1: I like when they hit the chorus. Like, again, I'm typically not the biggest fan of repetitive stuff, but the way they sing this chorus. It's almost a call and response. Yeah, it really is. And the way that they phrase, like they didn't just go, "Are we or or we are," they do this like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, what word I'm looking for? I couldn't tell you. Like race car. That's the same forward and backward. Palindrome. Yeah, they do like this palindrome thing, but with the sentence, right? Where it's like, "Are we? We are." And the way that they hit it with the rhythm, it's really, really cool. It really is. It scratches the itch
0: just right, and the song glides smoothly into Saint Jimmy. Say hello to our second main character. Yes. Um, so as far as story goes, Jesus has really kind of hit the bottom of his downward spiral, not going great. So he manifests this little alter ego for himself, a bit of like a shoulder devil. You know, you get the little shoulder angel and shoulder devil. St. Jimmy is a bit of a shoulder devil for Jesus. And Armstrong says the character represents how people get disconnected from themselves a little bit and maybe follow a self-destructive path. So this song introduces us to our little rebel, the patron Satan of the denial with an angel face and a taste for suicidal cigarettes and dope son of edgar Allan poe self-proclaimed needle in the vein of the establishment that's saint jimmy
1: yep. and like i said the fact that they slowed down on the first half and really dragged out the are we we are and everything and then immediately smack you with this super fast pace that is probably the fastest paced one so far <laughs> oh easily and it fits for saint jimmy's personality you know that he'd be off the walls just everywhere right it's jesus's ability to just let go
0: up the boulevard like a zip gun on parade let go and behave
1: however he wants with no consequences
0: yeah that's what he's realizing is that if no one's keeping track of him if he's waiting for people to find him he could just run wild so we're living this rebel life. Life in the fast lane, no consequences. And it starts to be too much, really quickly. It starts to get overwhelming. And what happens when things get overwhelming? You want to go numb.
1: You do drugs. You,
0: well, you do drugs, I, apparently, <laughs> in this instance. You want to go numb. So the next track that we get into is Give Me Novocaine. Slash She's a Rebel. Slash She's a Rebel, yeah. Give Me Novocaine, the the first half of the double here. It's a surprisingly soft song, I think, in the absolute depths mm-hmm. of this really gritty punk story.
1: But yeah, I think it needs to be, right? If you're writing a song about going numb, you want it to be more stripped back and soft, and it's almost like the song's going numb.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Look at other numb songs have done similar things at pink floyd comfortably numb Mm -hmm. it definitely mm, there's some imagery in here that's wild kiss the demons out of my dreams hello that's pretty intense drain the pressure from the swelling the sensations overwhelming just you know there's this real sense of Things need to be fixed, and we don't know how to fix them. So tell me, Jimmy, that I won't feel a thing. Yeah. Promise me that making this decision is at least going to numb the pain.
1: I really uh, like that on the pre-chorus into the beginning part of the course, they do make it go a little harder as they're talking about draining the pressure and stuff like that. But they do that specifically so that when they hit that last line, "to give me Novocaine, they can mellow it back out. Yes. Which is perfect.
0: <laughs> it hits like a hit of Novocaine. Yeah. And then... I love that they bring it so far down and so far down and so far down that it's just the drum beat and then explode into she's a rebel.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that like he's calling to his alter ego Jimmy, like like Jesus like, Jimmy, tell me it's gonna be alright. Tell me I'm not gonna I'm not gonna feel this pain anymore. Take over kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> Take the wheel. Yeah. And uh yes. So in the next part of the song, we meet our third protagonist, or
1: What's her name, yeah. which is an amazing name. I love it. It's, it's an amazing <laughs> name. That's
0: all we get. It's hilarious. What's her name? The rebel, the extraordinary girl. That's her. She, she pops in here.
1: Which at this point I did notice also was the title of the last track. So at this point I was very interested in what we had to learn about. What's her name?
0: Yeah. Okay. So you're keeping up with this concept album. You're, you're invested. Oh yeah. I loved it. Good. Great.
1: I shouldn't say I loved it, but. Well, uh, you
0: already said it. No it these seats. I like, liked it. <laughs> well, great. Armstrong based this character of What's-Her-Name off of someone he knew in his real life. Yeah. And he also said he used this character model in songs like She and Amanda. So What's-Her-Name comes up a couple times in Green Day canon.
1: Now, did he just use What's-Her-Name as like a placeholder so he didn't have to use her real name? Or did he actually not remember her name?
0: No, I'm sure he remembers her name. I just think he used What's-Her-Name. I think the point of it is that it doesn't matter what her name is. Not to Jesus of Suburbia at the end of this album. It's just kind of a a
1: figment. Definitely does during the middle of the album. But yes, by the end. Yeah. Even by the end, maybe still a little. Like, I feel like he's still kind of melancholy that he... Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We're jumping ahead.
0: I just think that she's supposed to be a symbol of this broken phase of his life. And so much like everything else in this phase is better left in the past. And that's why he chooses to replace her name with what's her name. Unless her name maybe really
1: is what's her name. Suppose it's a possibility. It's interesting, too, because like we get a bit of an unreliable narrator situation going on here a bit. Yes. Right. Because we got we got Jesus of suburbia who's going a bit crazy. He's got this alter ego, Jimmy. Saint Saint Jimmy specifically is his title. Right. Yep. But then in this song, like, at least the way he's describing her in the she's a rebel section is kind of a bit like Saint Jimmy, right? She's a rebel, like Saint Jimmy is. She's a saint, like Saint Jimmy is. Yeah. But it's like, is she though? Because that's not. The interpretation i get as we move into the next section <laughs> it almost seems like he's uh seeing what he wants to see in her and it doesn't quite stay that way
0: well i kind of think she is a lot like the saint jimmy personality uh, maybe and i also i love the callback in the bridge to how she sings the revolution the dawning of our lives like in holiday we, we head right back to that
1: yes i did like that that was cool but it's like is she bringing this liberation and this dawning of, of and revolution and all that because because he's been sitting around waiting for somebody to come and she's the first one to show up just because she's the first one to show up doesn't mean it's what he's necessarily been waiting for you know that's true maybe he's misdiagnosing her because he's been too alone
0: oh he's idealized her yeah
1: yeah idealized that's the word i was looking for because again i will talk about is we get into some of the next i sorry i started laughing i saw my first note for the next section i forgot about it <laughs> Yeah. Well, maybe
0: he's misremembering or misattributing things to her. But one thing I can tell you for sure is she's extraordinary. Yeah. Because extraordinary girl is the next part. Why on earth is this my
1: first note? What? What's your first note? I don't know why, but my first note is just the line, so tasty. (laughs) I know why. What? It starts with a a bunch of bongos. Oh, it does. Sitting here, going, why did I write so
0: taste? The jokes are so deep and so ridiculously <laughs> removed from any context. Now that
1: you forgot them, them yourself. I'm sitting here racking my brain, going, we're talking about some woman, and <laughs> why did I write so deep? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yes, the song starts off with some tasty bongos. It sure does. So we build out
0: this character. What's her name? A little more. As a rebel, like we mentioned, she starts to be a little more attracted to the St. Jimmy side of Jesus of Suburbia. But of course, since St. Jimmy isn't exactly the most sustainable way for Jesus of Suburbia to be, and since he and what's-her-name are such A-types, right? Such, you know, Mm -hmm. clashing personalities, they really don't get along, and things kind of start to crumble under the pressure. Interesting. That's kind of my interpretation of it, anyway, is that he's not really... Really?
1: Interesting. I guess that interpretation and my interpretation could go to together it's just i kind of almost viewed it as she didn't like Saint. she determined like it ended up being that she didn't like saint jimmy it felt to me as especially as you transition the part two of the song letter bomb that like the reason she leaves him is because he's so self-destructive and i felt like saint jimmy was the self-destructive side the side was able to go wild and do whatever he wanted and so i interpreted it as awful one listen that she was like kind of like you need to grow up and saint jimmy's not real you're you're, you're jesus you're not saint jimmy like wake up <laughs> you know sort of thing like like he like she seems like this free spirit that's come to save him and then it doesn't quite turn out to be like that and they end up having a falling out and then he kind of writes her off as oh well she she sucked (laughs) and saint jimmy's the way i need Saint, you know again we'll get into you know the what he does after the romance ends but i don't know to me the the fact that in letterbomb she's kind of mad at him for being or believes he's too melodramatic and self-destructive i guess the melodramatic side maybe is more jesus but self-destructive i I definitely was getting vibes of like she was fed up with saint jimmy yeah oh very much but you could i guess argue that by creating saint jimmy jesus the suburbia is self-destructive in and, <laughs> in and of himself yeah so
0: inherently the, the two have to go together you
1: know yeah, yeah so it, i guess it works
0: yeah so letter bomb comes up next like you mentioned in this bit of the song is from the point of view of what's her name after the breakup after things go south she does. She accuses Jesus and Jimmy of all of his wrongdoings. where she she straight up calls him out. St. Jimmy is a figment of your father's rage and your mother's love. Mm-hmm. That line is it cuts like a knife.
1: Yeah. And so it's, it's almost like to me, it's funny because like we talked about how he creates St. Jimmy while he's waiting. You know, he's in this passive state of wishing somebody would just save him sort of thing from being an American idiot and all the things that go along with it. And so he creates this St. Jimmy personality because nobody comes and then she comes and she's like, I hate St. Jimmy. He's stupid. He's a figment of your father's rage and blah, 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 all that. And then he's just kind of like, you're wrong. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> right. He's just ignorant of it. It's one of those things where it's like, if he had just waited a little longer when she came around and if he was still just Jesus, maybe things would have went a little better. It felt like St. Jimmy was the rift that couldn't be repaired. Yes. I do love that line though. It's uh, so good. That's the, the, The St. Jimmy is a figment of your father's rage and your mother's love made me the idiot America. Like, that That just really, like, we're talking about how this is a concept down, but, like, that hits on almost every track that came before it in one way or another in the lines. Yes. It's just like, bam, 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 bam. Ah, yeah. (laughs) So
0: here's a fact that is just totally unbelievable to me. I can't believe this keeps coming up. So this song starts with the little sing-songy-ditty. Nobody likes you. Everyone left you. That... Part is sung by Kathleen Hanna, who's a huge inspiration to Billy Joe Armstrong. Kathleen Hanna just so happens to be the lead singer of the Riot Girl band Bikini Kill,
1: who we just can't <laughs> seem to escape.
0: We-, we talked about them a lot on the Nirvana episode, episode four. And then again, this whole concept of Riot Girl music came up with the song Riot Girl on Good Charlotte, episode 34. Yep. So, Bikini Kill.
1: <laughs> Here again, sounds it's almost like it's fate trying to make us do Bikini Kill. I guess we'll have
0: to add it to the spin cycle. (laughs) Yeah. So next up is another track that you could make the argument for it being the biggest song on this album, and that is "Wake Me Up When September Ends."
1: That's that's the other one on this album. That again, like everybody knows the title "Wake Me Up When September Ends," but I couldn't have told you how the song went. I can't believe that. Be honest with you, that is that's wild to me. It's it's so I knew the song, and I kind of knew the "Wake Me." up when september ends line but i couldn't have told you anything about like the rest of the song sure <laughs> like, like i knew the title it's like one of the in american idiot are like the only two green day songs i could have named and i probably would have had to think about it and i couldn't have told you how it went other than the wake me up when september ends line
0: fair enough now i know what you're thinking and you're right mm-hmm. this song is not connected directly into our story or our characters
1: which is annoying I guess it is. I'm perturbed by that.
0: Yeah, well, this one is personal. Billy Joe Armstrong wrote the song about his father, who died of cancer on the first day of September. Billy was 10 years old at the time, and he remembered saying this to his mother after the funeral. He went, like, and locked himself in his bedroom. His mom came knocking to check on him, and he said, Wake me up when September ends. The song actually wasn't even meant for this album. It was supposed to come earlier on shenanigans, but it was still too fresh and too emotional at that time. So they put it off and they waited. And I I honestly think it's okay on this album, especially to talk about being, I I don't know, you can kind of shoehorn it in a little bit.
1: It's one of those songs that you can take the meaning that Billy Joe wants it to have be Uh about, you know, this emotional experience he had as a child. Yeah. But you could then remove, strip that away from it and apply it to what just happened with, between Jesus and what's her name. Well, yeah. You know, you, you could do that if you wanted to, but that, it's kind of, like you almost feel bad trying to do that to it make cheapens. it fit because. Of, it cheapens it, exactly. Yeah. So it's like you can, but, but do you, really you always want don't want to. to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I just, it is poignant, I suppose, to put this introspective song right after he gets kind of dumped and his only friend in the world kind of leaves him behind.
1: Uh-huh. I think that's why they put it here, so that it could kind of tie in. Yeah. In a way. Like, there's nowhere else on here for it to make sense to go.
0: No. And he's just been called the, the product of his father's rage. And this song is all yeah. about the death of his father. And I feel like. Okay.
1: So, yeah, you can shoehorn it in that way. Yeah, yeah, you can just say, like, that triggered this memory for him. And then while he's sad about the loss of what's her name, it also brought up these memories of the past, you know? And so he's remembering. Yeah, you can make it work without changing the. All right. I'm yeah. happy now. Okay. Well, good.
0: Congratulations. Consider, c-
1: consider me. Consider me content good awesome so next up we've got homecoming another oh also we are officially out of the valley of double songs with Wake me up in september end.
0: yes it's been a long valley so up next we've got homecoming it's another five-part rock opera yes suite it is. of songs the first part is the death of <laughs> saint jimmy
1: yeah it was my first note before i even hit play the song i saw the title of the first section and just went oh god jimmy's dead <laughs> Jimmy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Jimmy does die. And uh, I think it's a real point of growth. For a second, for, for Jesus of Suburbia, because he finally realizes that the only way to get out of this hole he's dug himself in is to stop with the self-destructive behavior let St. Jimmy, that whole part of his
1: personality, go. Yeah, well, kind of. Kind of, yeah. He tries. <laughs> he does. I like the stomping that they put in here. A nice touch.
0: Yes, it's all a nice touch. This, this first death of St. Jimmy part is so catchy.
1: Uh-huh, the, that's good. The call and response in section two is fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. Part two is called East 12th Street and uh Saint Jimmy is dead. Jesus of Suburbia is uh kind of getting back to it. He's filling out paperwork at the facility on East 12th Street, which that's a that's a standout line from the album to me. Just because we've got all this imagery, charged charged imagery behind calling the character Jesus, but then also knowing everything this character's been through, all the, you know, wild and crazy times, all the hardships and stuff, just to find him in such a mundane situation really just jumps out at me every time. And he doesn't like it. He says Get me out of here. Anybody, get me out of here. Yeah. Part three is Nobody Likes You. We pick back up that ditty from the start of Letter hmm
1: I like the bells in this section. Mm, yeah. It feels
0: like a reckoning, like a coming of age. The tale is like, it's like the end of it, you know? Yeah. Mike Durnt actually sings a lot on this part.
1: Well, I was reading something that said every section was written by a different member of the band. Mm, I can believe it, and that's pretty cool. It was like they each wrote one section. Uh, I forget where I was reading that. I just I read it. you just read it
0: so he goes through this phase again get me out nobody likes you yeah here
1: it is i found it death of saint jimmy um because what are the sections yeah we got so billy joe because there's what three there was three main members right billy joe mike durnt and trey cool yeah so billy joe did the death of saint jimmy east 12th street and we're coming home again mike durnt did nobody likes you and trey cool did rock and roll girlfriend
0: yes and rock and roll girlfriend is the fourth section of the song that's pretty wild that's another um raging bit of song here yeah and i honestly i'm not entirely sure how it fits into the greater arcing narrative of jesus of suburbia but it's here
1: um i think it fits in what it's really actually clever how they fit it in it's very niche right so it's almost like billy uh jesus of suburbia becoming the american idiot that he didn't want to be right he like sure. overcorrects. corrects okay what's her name breaks up with him says saint jimmy sucks and then he says all right saint jimmy sucks Kill St. Jimmy, let's get my life, let's just live the typical life that apparently everybody's supposed to lead to be happy, you know, because he talks about he gets the kid, he gets the, uh, all these things, and then it echoes towards the end of the verse with the don't want to be an American idiot. Yeah, it just kind of echoes back there. Yeah. Uh, as he's listing off all these things that he would have been saying were stupid to to be proud of and to be thinking about, you know?
0: Yeah. So I've seen the stage adaptation of this album and this, you know, it's a musical. And uh-huh. in this part of the song, there's a there's an external character, a, a, another oh. person that sends this in a letter to Jesus of suburbia. And so this is oh. kind of in that context, a moment for Jesus to reflect and see what his life would have been like if he stuck around. Uh,
1: if he had become an American, like he's seeing somebody who became an American idiot. Yes. <laughs> Yeah,
0: which is why I think the Echo don't want to be an American idiot is important is because he sees
1: that he's avoided this.
0: But alas, avoid it as long as you can. Part five, we're coming home again.
1: So I like that because he gets this letter from somebody who's got the rock and roll house. He's got all these things that are punk, you know, that are like, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so then, you know, he's like, all right, I'm going back home. I'm going back to the, my stomping ground. I'm becoming that rebel punk, non-American idiot guy again, you know? Jesus is here to save the day. He's back. No more needs for St. Jimmy. I've, the responsibility back on my shoulders. I'm here to save everyone that's being sucked in by America in its idiotic ways. You know, he's like, it's like, I'm home. Yes. I like it. I like it a lot. I like
0: it a lot too. And uh, finally, we kind of get a bit of an epilogue in the last track here.
1: Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang. Rankings of the five parts of this song go two, three, four, one, five. Oh, okay, good to know. Yeah. This was always a harder one to rank for me. It's not as clear cut. It isn't as clear cut. And honestly, honestly, other than. F- five I could probably be the the first four I could do some switching around depending on the day but five's pretty solidly in the fifth spot but the other four depends on what I'm in the mood for
0: right yeah I, I think this one just makes so much better use of recurring musical themes and motifs
1: I had that in my notes too I wrote specifically that they did such a good job with bringing back all the themes and motifs and the concept they just did such a good job tying everything together on a nice bow and it ending with him going back to the streets and Jesus of suburbia being reborn. I was like, why wasn't this the closer? (laughs) I was like, this felt like it should have been the end. And then we had one more track,
0: one more track. And it's again, a bit of an epilogue because time passes. Jesus of suburbia cleans his life up, gets his act together. And then he starts to think back to losing what's her name and kind of regrets missing that lifestyle. That was, you
1: know, it burdened him so much in the moment. Yeah, that he let it let it slip through his fingertips. He sure did. And it's a beautiful song. And I guess viewing it as an epilogue works, because then it's kind of like Homecoming was the conclusion, and then this was like the post-credit Avengers scene, you know? Sure. Jesus of Suburbia will return.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I love how we kind of canonically get a reason that she's called What's-Her-Name in this, how he remembers the face, but he can't recall the name.
1: That's what made me wonder, because you said it was based off a real-life person, and then he says that he remembers the face, but not the name. I wondered if that was also true in real life. No. Billy Joe didn't remember the name of the person he was singing about.
0: I also, I I gotta say, I love, love, love the second verse. Seems that she disappeared without a trace. Did she ever marry old What's-His-Face?
1: I know. I really like that one.
0: Oh, it's so good. And it's such a sad, wow, just a sad end to the song here. Remember, whatever, it seems like forever ago. The regrets are useless in my mind. It's so sad. I don't like that it ends with time and time, but I really love all those sentiments.
1: Forgetting you, but not the time is great. It's really the line, I'll never turn back time. Yep. Replace that with something else. That's really the problem.
0: So remember how we mentioned that they recorded this album in a different way where they did each song to completion before they did the next song? Mm -hmm. When they finished recording, what's her name well that meant the actual album was over and there's a video out there that i've seen a couple times and it's just so emotional of them finishing the last take on the last track of this song and uh billy joe armstrong he just starts crying because of all this emotion yeah i mean just imagine it's a packed album it's heavy it's i mean personal to him even man i can only imagine the feelings that you'd have when you finally called it a wrap so I'm giving this the Best Spin It Rap Award.
1: No. No, yeah. <laughs> we already gave that award out. No,
0: we gave out the Best Rap, R-H-A-P, to Rhapsody in Blue. This gets the Best Rap, W-R-A-P, because it's... Oh, yes, gotcha. Yes. Gotcha, okay. It's separate awards. Perfect. They're just homophones. Oh, all right, I'm done with that. I Really, though, all jokes aside, it's an emotional video, and I, I would check it out so uh, I love it. that puts a cap on the album and the story that's american idiot for you our first rock opera yep
1: i actually you mentioned it uh on one of these tracks and about how there's like a stage adaptation like musical yeah or whatever of this and i remember i i remember thinking that was really cool it'd be really cool to see this like perform it's so
0: cool i saw it performed at like a college level and it was still really oh, it was really okay. good
1: that's cool yeah because, like, I saw something where it's talking about how, like, when they get to the letter bomb section or whatever, they usually have a female character come out and sing it. Yep. And whatnot. You know, I'm the guy that likes to take albums that aren't concept albums, and I try to find a thread for all the songs. Yes. And so I've always in my head pictured it being acted out. And so to have one that I could go see be acted out, I might add that to my, my to-do list. Oh, wow. To find an opportunity to see see this somewhere at some point in my life. Good luck. Very loose goal. <laughs> It's a very very loose goal,
0: and you probably better hurry up, because it's already been, like, off-Broadway for 12 years.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there'll be some sort of revival at some point, for some reason. Maybe. Sometime. I don't know. Guess you'll have to wait and see. They'll do a Disney Plus version of it. Oh, gosh. Disney Plus
0: American (laughs) Idiot? This is probably more of an HBO Max. Yeah, it seems a little too gritty for Disney. So that's going to bring us into Final Spin, the part of the show where we spin finally. Now, I guess I'll go first as always. As you usually do. Seems to be kind of the thing. Music, I think this album rocks. There's so many different themes, little just musical like snippets that they insert time and time again, and that really keeps you going through the whole thing. Everything's really sing-alongable, even though it's really dark. I mean, who hasn't, besides Connor? Everyone can sing along to Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Everybody knows Wake Me Up When September Ends. American Idiot's a fun one to yell along to. I just... There's a lot of musical stuff that I like. They play their instruments hard, they play them fast, they play them well, and uh, they don't neglect the softer side of things, which is nice. Given music a 91. Lyrics. How cool is it that this album tells a really impactful, coherent story with actual characters? Wow. In a way that makes it still feel like an album. I mean, you're, you're keenly aware that
1: they, they cheat with when September ends.
0: Maybe a little bit. But I just, I think they do a great job with this medium, this very unique rock opera format. They do a good job at, like, keeping the themes present without overdoing anything. I don't think anything feels too heavy-handed or too overbearing. Sharing. And we we actually tell this story. There's there's resolution to all the conflicts. I'm given lyrics a 92 instruments and in production is pretty solid, pretty good all the way throughout. Uh, like we said, some really cool production decisions, especially on songs like Letterbomb, like American Idiot, Radio Static sounds and other things that just immerse you in the world here. I'm given instruments and in production an 88. Sounds good. Overall vibe, such a great album to get lost in. The cover art's awesome. It's a really important and influential punk album in 2004. It's still holds up. You know, honestly, it's been what 18, 19 years, still holds up. So, I'm giving this album a 91 for vibe, puts its overall score at a 92 points even. Oh well, even
1: that doesn't happen often.
0: No. Nice. That puts it at number 51. Not quite top 50, but pretty darn close. Might as well be top 50. It's top 50 in my heart. But not in reality. Okay, well, pipe down. <laughs>
1: For me, I like this one a lot, too. Good. I like a good concept album, contrary to what James would have you believe. So far, you have not. We've only other done one other one. A couple have been conceptual. Conceptual, sure, but in terms of actual concept albums, it's like our second, maybe third one. That's not big enough sample size for you to say you hate them. You're just bad at picking them. Whatever. I think my track record of trying to shoehorn concept albums into non-concept albums should show that I like them. Yeah, it's good. My top three, I only get, again, my normal top three. No honorable mention this week, but it'll be back next week. Yeah, it sure will. So my just plain old boring top three in album order. They don't have to be boring, but go on. They're not boring. It's just top three is boring. It's American Idiot, Jesus of Suburbia, Holiday slash Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Oh, top, top three from top the top three. three. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yep, that doesn't happen often, but the first three tracks are my top three.
0: Yeah, what's your playlist pick? Good question, isn't it? Sure is. What's yours? <laughs> no, no, I go first every dang time. <laughs> Not
1: every time. I went first. I go first every once in a while. I'm thinking Holiday slash Boulevard of Broken Dreams.
0: Good pick. And that, I guess, would leave me... Mm, I'm torn between just taking American Idiot and taking Wake Me Up When September Ends. Both big Green Day songs.
1: I figured those are the two you'd be torn between. Yeah. Just depends on if you want a ballad or if you want...
0: Well, you get Boulevard of Broken Dreams. That's a bit of a, a good ballad there. So I'll take American Idiot.
1: Cool. That's the one I wanted you to pick. Not that I would have been disappointed with When September Ends. You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. No. No spoilers. But yeah, I'm happy with that. American Idiot and Holiday Slash Boulevard of Broken Dreams. As for my score...
0: Hit me with that score. I'm curious about this one. Yeah,
1: what are you thinking? I don't know. The way you talked
0: about it, I don't expect anything less than an 8. Really?
1: Yes. I'm giving this one an 8 out
0: of 10. 8. Solid. Okay, see? I was going to yeah. be disappointed if it got less. 8
1: mom rocks and glass houses out of 10. <laughs>
0: right eight mother rocks and glass houses yes
1: oh i like that better than my mother rocks oh i improved the unit Uh,
0: yes eight
1: mother rocks and glass houses
0: now where in your eights we should, this... should be in
1: Glass Holmes? I feel like it should be in Glass Holmes. Uh, whatever, sure. Hey, Mother Rocks in Glass Holmes. Potato, potato at this point, honestly. <laughs> going, I don't know exactly where it's going to pop up on the on my sheet. It'll be below we are, above Avenged Sevenfold. Okay, I can get behind it. I gotta think a little harder. Sorry, sorry about that. I know that's hard. I'm afraid the smoke's going to set off the smoke detectors. Uh-oh,
0: can't have that. Well, that's a, that's a solid 51st episode from us. Next year, last episode in year one. Next week will be the last last episode in our first full year, which is awesome. Thank you very much for, Can't believe for it. sticking with us and listening and hanging out while we just talk about music and do this thing. Big stuff coming down the pike. Big stuff. Big stuff. If you're looking for us on the web, you can find us on Twitter at SpinItPod, on Instagram at spin it pod Official, and at our website, www.SpinItPod.com. Get ready. We're having a, a big old birthday party next year. Next week. <laughs> which is also next year. Next year. I'm. I, you know what I'm I meant it is next year for the podcast.
1: I'm taking over. I'm planning this birthday party. (laughs) Sure. I have yet to be satisfied with any of the scores you've given me for either of my two picks I've done in the past.
0: Well, that's true. So you're going to take one last chance in year one to try One last
1: chance in year one. We're either going to end year one on a high note or a low note, and that will determine my attitude the entire year of year two. Oh, gosh. Be careful. That's
0: high pressure. (laughs) Guess we'll see how it goes. I'm excited about it, knowing what album's coming up.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a bubbly episode. Yes, it is.
0: So with that said, We'll see you next week for a party of a lifetime. And until then, keep spinning. Keep spinning. I'd like to learn how to learn the Really? Knowing what you know? You I still... actually tried it one
1: time. I actually tried it one time. It wasn't actually too awful. I made it a couple of feet. Yeah? yeah? Oh, that's ballsy. I don't know if it was or not. <laughs> funny.